0: Hi again, it's time for another edition of the Talking Bass podcast. Today Ellen's talking bass with a true female pioneer of bass guitar that needs no introduction, the legendary Susie Quattro. Susie is a singer, songwriter and bass player that rose to fame during the
1: 1970s with hit songs such as Devil Gate Drive and Can The Can. She's released 15 solo albums since her debut in 1973 and sold over 50 million
0: records through her amazing career. Susie has been a massive influence on female musicians over the years, and on this, the week of International Women's Day, we'd be hard-pressed to interview a more impactful, hard-rocking lady of bass. So let's join Ellen O'Reilly as she sits down to talk bass with the amazing Susie Quattro.
1: Hello and welcome to the Talking Bass Podcast with me, your host, Ellen O'Reilly, and today I've got the legendary Susie Quattro. How you doing? Oh man, I am, yeah, I'm blown away really, just to talk to an <laughs> absolute <laughs> legend. <laughs>
0: Blown away. I like that answer. How are you? Blown away. That's a unique one. I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially, you know, as we said in these times, everyone's like, oh, I'm not sure.
0: Nobody wants to commit themselves to the word great anymore. <laughs> yeah. I like that. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: well, I mean, look, lights at the end of the tunnel, we're all going to be out of this in a couple of months. I hope, you know, Roll on the vaccine no, because I, I, I know that you had like uh, tours and everything canceled.
0: Oh you know? yeah. And then, you know, I'm, it must be said though. I mean, I, 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 for me, I don't need the money. I don't do it because of the money I do, because I love what I do, but there's a lot of people that live hand to mouth and they're know, Nobody has helped the entertainment industry at all on this. Nobody, this is the last on the line. It's, you know, what's so funny. It's the first thing everybody needs. And it's the last thing of a line of help. How does that make sense?
1: Mm, exactly. The arts, just the, the whole arts in general, has just been ignored. But like people uh, during these times, people are looking to to music, to movies, TV, books, poetry, all art, like paintings and, and all. That yeah, sure. To you know, to relieve them of the. I mean, nobody's going to look at a load of maths or sums for relief, really. <laughs> you
0: know. No. And I've I've made a great album to entertain people. And it was written during, written and recorded during lockdown, which is, it says it all, because all the atmosphere that we're going through, this is all within the album.
1: Yes, exactly. I had a new album, The Devil In Me, which was released uh, just last month, yeah? So it's out now, available, isn't
0: it? Uh, The single is out. First of all, there was the Christmas single, My Heart and Soul. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's on the album because it's a Christmas single, but it's not, especially in these times, you can say I need you home for Christmas now in March. You know, there's no guarantee they're going to be home. Uh, the Devil In Me is out right now with a new video. Home is out March 25th called The Devil and Me, and there's a new single coming out, I think, in about a week called I Sold. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Awesome. All, all, well, we're doing videos for everything and waiting for the gigs to start, and who knows when it will
1: exactly yeah but you worked on this album with your son so what what was that like collaborating with your son
0: well the the first album we did together was no control which is 2019 um and we got that one because we hadn't worked together before and neither of us knew what to expect you know it's it's a learning experience and I discovered that uh Richard was hugely talented (laughs) and yeah I, I didn't know it because he always did his own thing and all of a sudden he wanted to write with me and we started i went oh where did this come from and um made that first one with no no rules no regulations no blueprint never worked together before so everything was open and that's what that album sounded like everything was open now this one because it was such a critical success no control and everybody commented on it what a great partnership this one we had our We knew what we were doing. And my son said he wanted this album to be as important and groundbreaking as my first album. He's brought his 36 year old generation of music to this album, plus his DNA of watching his mom be Susie Quattro for his entire life. So he's got a certain vision of me that is ingrained in him. Mm. And I am now seeing me to, his eyes, which is very strange sometimes, but I get it, I get it. He's, you know, they say you teach your kids till they teach you. All right, I that's the it. truth. I just have to ground him. I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he was obviously meant to be touring as well with his own projects.
0: At yes, time. he should have been. Uh, he works with uh, with another act, and he should have been on the road the whole of last year. I was supposed to be on the road and. I think he only had eleven days at home. I was like eighty-five solo gigs booked all around the world. Fantastic year it should have been. And the company had picked up the option for the second album and we had discussed before lockdown how are we gonna how and when are we gonna write this mm-hmm. in the lockdown. So I said to my son, luckily I'd built a studio before this happened in the grounds, and I said, Okay, let's do silver lining thing, like which which is what I am anyway and I said, Um Let's write the album. We have the time. So he went in the studio to work. I sat on the patio, and we just wrote and wrote and wrote. And we went for the vibe. We went for... We, we, he really had his blinders on. He was quite, quite a pain in the ass on a lot of this album, actually, because he wouldn't <laughs> budge. He wouldn't budge. But what that tells you is, is he was sure of himself. Mm. You know? Even with me, with my pressure, saying, oh, this... He went, boom. And I thought, okay, i got to trust this. I have to trust this. He's not doing it for him. He's do it's my album. He's doing it for me. So if he's that sure of something, let's do it. And he was so right. The whole album, as diverse as it is, and it is diverse, it's all me. And he's really, you know, we've really spread the wings, but it's it's so Susie. And he's done that. Bless him. He's done that for me.
1: Yeah. What was the dynamic like though working you know going from being someone's mother to being someone's collaborator you know working together like going from mother and son to working together what was that like?
0: Well it could be more difficult than what it was because I had the history of growing up in a musical family so i Played in my dad's band when I was seven, you know, and then I started the all-girl band with my sisters. Then I came to England, had a band, and I married my guitar player, Richard's father. So I kind of know family dynamics and how they work in a working relationship. Richard didn't know this. So for him to come along and start to work with me, he had to adjust more than I did more than I did, but he, he got it on the first album. He was a bit like this at first, you know. I mean, I mean, when we were there recording the first album, I have to go back to this, and we were doing the first few sessions. And he was sitting there, I'm sitting here, I'm his mother. I'm sitting there with my bass, with the microphone, and we're doing a track. And he just stopped. And I said, what's the matter? He said, oh my God, I said, what? He said, all of a sudden, I'm sitting in the studio with Susie Quattro. <laughs> And it was a real moment. You know what I'm saying, all the psychological implications. And I just looked at him for a minute and I said, and? And he went, ready. And he started to play. So that was a moment for him, for both of us, actually. Because I don't do relationships when I'm working. I can't. I can't. I'm I'm working. So he got that. And the only thing he had to learn as we went along on this one was how to be diplomatic in the studio. He's very much a vibe person. He gets very passionate. So when something isn't working, I go, no, you Say no, no, no. You don't, you don't say it like that. You know, if you're putting down a vocal and it's not quite where you don't go, no. You try to put it into the words that somebody can understand. So he had to learn a bit of um, artist diplomacy speak. Mm. But he's got that now. You know, there's a couple of times when I thought, oh my God, and he took my confidence away, which is really something, because I'm still confident. But I had to explain to him that when you're in the studio and you're doing what you do, be it a guitar part or bass part or sing it doesn't matter. You're very vulnerable. You're actually doing what you do and you're putting it out there. And if somebody goes, Ugh, "You go," and you're destroyed. So I said, you have to be very careful how you put things. Nobody wants you not to let something go that isn't right, that isn't what i'm saying at all if something's wrong of course you say so but you have to come back and soften it a bit and his is all about the vibe mm. you know? so and he's right it is the vibe but he's he's got that now he's got that now so just something inexperienced. he didn't get that well i want to
1: go back to well speaking of families i want to go back to like you know back when you were 14 and you were in your band with your sisters you know the pleasure seekers uh, later became cradle um what was that like working with your sisters?
0: That was fine. Um, first, it was one sister. She was the one that had the idea to start the band, the one next to me, Patty. Mm-hmm. And then we lost the piano player. And my dad said, why are you looking for another piano player? Your sister plays, So my elder sister joined. And there was mm-hmm. three of us. And my elder sister's first husband out of seven, seven, um, he started to manage us. I know I can't, you can't even go there because it's a whole other conversation. Um, <laughs> He started to manage the band, so the number three sisters. And eventually that band changed to Cradle and the younger sister was brought in and the elder one left to get married for the second time. Um, I didn't think about it being sisters.
1: Mm.
0: We just we just grew up that way. We honestly did. It was a good, the first girl band was a cute, all girl band, you know, cute teenagers, neighborhood. It was good. Yeah, two sisters, two sisters and another girl.
1: Yeah.
0: That was that was a cute band it was a really cute band
1: and so who who was it who told you to play bass then
0: well <laughs> we were watching uh, because I'm schooled in bass guitar not bass guitar I'm schooled in percussion and piano I can read and write both instruments I studied both so I play classical piano read and write I play drums read and write um, and I was in the school orchestra and, and I got to be first chair it really pissed everybody off because all the boys are in the percussion section mm-hmm. and they do the little rudiment test and whoever is the best gets first chair. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. And I, I remember the guys looking at me like that and I thought, yeah, I like this. I think I'll just continue on this this path. <laughs> I'm gonna piss all the guys off, that's fine. Um, So then when we started the first band, uh, everybody on the phone we were, and everybody chose an instrument. All the girls, we were on extensions, and I just didn't speak up quick enough. <laughs> and then I realized everybody had chosen an instrument. I said, "Wait, wait." wait. And Patty said, "You're going to play bass." And I said, "Okay." I, I, didn't, I didn't care. And then my I went to my dad, who was a musician, and I said, uh, "We're forming an all-girl band, Dad, and do you have a bass I can said?" And he said, "Sure." And he gave me. You might not know about it, but he gave me as my first bass at the age of 14, the Rolls Royce of bass guitars, 1957 Fender Precision with a bass in air. You don't get better. You don't get a harder one to play, a heavier one to play, a longer neck to play, or a better one to play. I did not know any of this. All I know was I got given this, and this is what I had to learn. So no wonder I became a good bass player. I learned on the best, you know? Mm. Yeah, so great. And as soon as I, I got to say, when I strapped it on, it was a, a light bulb moment. Yeah. I kind of went, yeah, yeah, this is for me. This is what I do.
1: Did it feel like it was the perfect marriage between, you know, the treble, you know, all the melody of piano and then all the rhythm of drums being the bass player, you're kind of in, the, in, in between?
0: Yeah, that's well put. It, it, was, it was putting the two together. Piano was classed as a percussive instrument. Mm -hmm. Drums are Mm -hmm. percussion and bass is certainly, I always have said it, bass is the note of the drums. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Bass and drums drive the band. So everything married up. I could put this on and I could still move, you know, and do what I do because I'm very much that kind of person. So yeah, it all married. And in fact, way back when we were uh, kids and five kids and my dad, because he had five kids, we used to drive everywhere for vacations. And we would often be in the uh, family station wagon, all full of people, you know, I mean, five kids and the parents in the front. And we would do lots of sing-alongs all the time. We'd go from to vacation, driving. That's three, three days and two nights driving. That's a lot of driving. So we did a lot of sing songs. Mm-hmm. And everybody naturally, as they do in families, would fall into their harmony notes. It was quite easy. We just knew what we were doing. And my dad, would always be going boom ba doom ba doom ba doom boom and I think I always think to myself you got the best part you got the best part then so it's stuck in my DNA as bass was fun you know and that's why I never went to guitar and then to bass I was drums piano bass guitar
1: excellent excellent um do you think that when you were playing like starting out on such a huge bass the dot um... You know, how, how did that affect your playing? Like, was that like a, you know, because you had to learn on such an unwieldy instrument, did that help your technique and stuff?
0: Um, I I did know it was big, but I I didn't think there was an option because I didn't know any better. So this was what I had to learn. So I learned it. I first started to play because nobody showed me anything. I just picked it up and started with my thumb. I'm not a pick girl. I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with a pick. I'm, I just I've tried it. It's not for me. I'm fingers, you know. Bongos was my first instrument. Piano, it's it's all fingers. So um, and I just can't get this together. I first started playing with my hands on that little guard here,
1: mm. with the
0: thumb, with the thumb. That's what I thought it was. Boom, boom, boom. Then a friend came over. He was in another band in Detroit, and he was. Uh, they they were called the Underdogs. They were quite successful, and he came over one day just to talk and all that. And I showed him what I was doing, and he said, "You idiot!" Because I had a big callus here and it was bleeding. He said, you idiot, let me show you how how you can do this. And he hung his hand on the pickguard up here. And then he did that and I went, oh, now that makes more sense <laughs> than I did that. I mean, it was only a very short time I did, so I didn't know any better. And then he showed me that and that, and then it just off, then I went, yeah, fingers. I know what I'm doing this way, but a piano did it, same thing. So then I started to uh, develop that way, I, I soon got this together, this thing, and then everything made sense, you know. And I'm a very much uh, organic bass player. I do a lot of walking, which is why, actually, if you're a true bass player, you don't use a pick and you walk the changes. Mm. Done, done. There is no substitute. And I like. Ba-doom, 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 you know, I love the acoustic sounding bass. I love that. I've used that on this new album on a few tracks. I love. I love the fretless acoustic. This is where bass began, you know? They didn't have the frets, and you had that lovely sliding, that you had the warmth. In mm-hmm. fact, my husband is not a musician at all. He's got very good ears, but not a musician. He was sitting in the front room, and I pulled out the acoustic fretless bass. I didn't tell him what it was. I said, tell me if you can hear this difference. And I played, and he went, what is that? What are you doing? I said, I'm using an acoustic fretless. He went, oh, so he heard it. Mm. The warmth, the warmth, no frets to get this. Oh, oh, I love it. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> love it.
1: <laughs> so um, did that affect your writing then? I mean, do you, you know, as predominantly, well, obviously you're a brilliant uh, piano player and percussionist, but as a well-known bass player, do you write from the aspect of the bass?
0: I do sometimes, because I'm schooled in percussion and piano. Piano is obviously my orchestra. Mm. Um, and not being a failed guitar player, which I'm not, which I always say, because a lot of bass players go to it because they didn't make it on guitar. It's true. Oh, two less strings. No, it's a totally different thing. And those are the, those are the bass players who play with the pick, that they started on guitar, I tell you. Anyway, um, piano is my orchestra and I use it often when I write. Um, I I'm, But I'm a riff player on bass, so I often will get a riff. And then once I got the riff satisfied, I'll then go to piano and put the chords to it, you know? Mm. So sometimes it starts as a riff. Every now and again, I write something on the drums. as a beat that I hear it in my head. Um, it's all different methods. Of beat. Guitar, if I want to write a simple, basic rock song, I go to guitar because I'm not a great guitar player. So therefore, what I do is very basic. Mm-hmm. So when I want to do something like that, I go there and it's like a, it's like a kid doing what they think guitars, and it works wonderfully that way. If I want to write something a little bit more complicated, it's on piano, the riffs, the beat, drums, and bass. But I have written stuff on bass many times, starting on bass, let's put it that way.
1: Mm. Uh, which songs did you write that way?
0: Oh gosh, let me see on this album now. Uh, there's one called It's on my box set Called Walking Through the Changes
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, Which is one of the best bass riffs I ever wrote Ever uh, And if you if you wait for a second I can grab my acoustic bass And I'll play it for you
1: Yeah, I'd love that That'd be brilliant
0: One sec I'll get it for you Alright <laughs> This um, I've always said Is one of my Although Before I get into this I must say On this album The bass line um, the devil and not the devil and me on Hey Queenie, mm-hmm. so difficult and my heart and soul,
1: mm.
0: two of the best bass songs I've ever written. Hey Queenie, because we were playing along to the demo where I'd already done a demo vocal. I didn't have to sing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I went to town. And I thought to myself, boy oh boy, if I have to play this and sing a live <laughs> thing, it's one of the few <laughs> ones I will have to rehearse because I don't normally have to rehearse. Mm. Because I just, whatever goes on here goes on here and it's always together, but that one's going to be hard. So I've given this uh, bass line, I've given it to many, a very good bass player. Yeah. And Easy, could, you, could
1: you move your camera down a little bit? Because I can just see, can't see your bass there. Brilliant, thank you. How's that? That's perfect.
0: Here we go. Okay, so this one is called Walking Through the Changes. Right. <laughs> and um, a lot of bass players cannot do this and you'll see why okay
1: Yes. Love, all, love all those little ghost notes that you're hitting they're great
0: <laughs> so what what the bass players good bass players cannot do is something that's left over from my Detroit days and my love of jazz days because I watched my dad play it's that it's like you're not really hitting the notes that's not easy to do
1: yeah it's so
0: great yeah, they'll play it. And I go, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Susie Quattro challenge. There we go.
1: I could put that it. back up. Oh, I want to learn it and send you a video and hopefully I'll pass.
0: <laughs> there you um, go. But you, you should try, try that. Hey, Queenie. Oh boy. Oh boy. I, I did a, when you get a chance, when you listen to it, bass netty fell over. I did oh. a walking, a walking bass part, which is to an, not normal sequence. Mm. And the guys in the studio, they're going what do I said, I'm working something out and it's going to work. And so I had to work out this because there is a certain number that you follow. You know, that's just a walking bass part. And it, it just this this sequence of the song, it's not normal. So I had to work out the walking bass to a not normal sequence. And then once I got it, they all went, oh, wow. But now to sing it with that, you're kidding me. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: Actually, yeah, that, that was leading me to my next question. I'm also a lead singing bass player. And it's like, it is a bit like, you know, doing completely two different things at once. Yeah, sure, sure. So what was your, because when you were in your first band with your sisters, you were predominantly on bass and then you transitioned, eventually became the lead singer. So how, how did that come about doing all this?
0: You know what? I have to say, in all honesty, I've never found that difficult. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I play drums, you know? And so that's all, that's, that's every part of your hand, that's every part of your body doing a different thing. I played piano, that's two-handed. You know, when you learn like uh, Bach and all that, these two-part melodies, so you're playing one melody here and another melody here. So I learned to think with opposite parts of my body. Um, I honestly moved from, well, I was right away the, the lead singer mainly anyway, so I didn't really think about it, but it always worked. Hand in hand with me. I mean, there's been two songs so far that I had to practice to play and sing in my entire 57 years. And now the third one will be Hey Queenie. But one of them, I'll show you, you'll see what I mean. Mm-hmm. This came up a long time later. Um, nearly impossible, put that down again so you can see. This one I, I use at my master bass, bass classes. There's uh, one of the hits called She's In Love With You. And Basically, is a non-moving mechanical base part, and you can't alter. It's like a machine, right? So it's don't move it, don't move nothing. You know how steady that is. Then I have to go. Ooh, if you see her all alone? When i walk up to just squealy, ask her why. Do you see that? Yeah. It's completely lazy, and this has to be like this. And that's one of the few that I had to practice and, and sing. Now that I know it for so many years, I don't think about it. But that, I had to get that. The way to do that was to just get that going without thinking. Just just don't think. that That's a machine. And then sing behind it. Yeah. And there's another track on my um, box set called The Girl from Detroit City. That's the title track. And that was the other one. Oh my God! I drove myself mad because the bass line is—I I can't even remember it right now to do it for you. But the bass line is totally against the vocal. Mm. And the funny part is <laughs> when I did "Dumb," no control. This title singer from the last album, no song, no control. And we had put down all the bits and pieces, and I had written the vocal, and I put the real vocal on the demo. And it was that good that we kept the real vocal. So then everything was replaced. And because I was playing the bass to my real vocal, I went to town. I went to town. Then it went into the set, right? Mm-hmm. So I was going to learn it. I put on the CD and I went, huh? What? Because I didn't play and sing. Usually, even if you've just got a scratch mic up, you are I don't know if you are you're playing to each other, but you're you're aware that you're singing. But because I was playing to me singing, I went ridiculous. And then I had to have the guy from the studio, I said, can you do me a favor and send me the bass part by itself? I had to relearn it. Oh my God. Yeah, it just makes the difference when you're just, even the scratch mic and playing along and you're really doing the real bass thing, but you got the scratch mock up, you're kind of, they're working together without you knowing they're working together. You know? Mm. So anyway, it was hilarious. I had to relearn my own bass part. You
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> that's gas. Um well you're obviously a massive hero, uh, for many a female bass player. I mean I mean for, I actually was called your name in school.
0: They <laughs> used to call oh, me, that's, Susie. Nice. that's nice.
1: Yeah, my teacher used to call me Susie Quattro. I was always up to mischief. Like, All right,
0: Susie. <laughs> All right, Susie. <laughs> I hope you wore it well.
1: <laughs> oh I did. I was like, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> So uh, how does it feel to be like you? Because you are, you are the, the, the goddess to us all. You know, you are the trailblazer for us. So how does it feel to when, when other female bass players coming up or whatever, come up to you and say that? Because I'm sure it's happened loads of times to you.
0: Yeah, sure. And it's just fantastic. I mean, just, just if I've, if I've started somebody on their journey, if I've touched somebody, you know, I mean, nothing brought that home to me more than watching the, documentary Susie Q at my first premiere. Mm -hmm. I don't really stop and think about it much to tell you the truth. I don't, I'm not, I don't need to be doing this to myself. I just don't do it. I didn't even know I was doing what I was doing. I was just doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I snuck into the cinema and I watched because I'm due up for the question and answer at the end of the first premiere. I wanted to feel it with the audience, you know, see where the laughs were, see where the tears were and just really feel it. So I snuck in on the side and watched it And I was humbled, and I was in tears, and I was, many moments wanted to crawl out on my hands and knees because so many awkward moments, which I wanted it to be. And um, I called my friend, Cherie, from The Runaways the next day. And I said, I have something to tell you. And she said, what? And you'll love this. I said, "Um, I just realized something. She said, what? I said, well, by me doing what I do, or what I did, I gave a lot of women all over the world, permission to be different. And she said to me, and you just got that? <laughs> Which really, it's the way she said it. And you just got that? Yes, I did. But isn't that, isn't that kind of refreshing that there wasn't an ego in, involved, there wasn't any sort of agenda. Mm. All there was was me having to be who I was and not changing for anybody. Mm-hmm. And I still am the same now. You know, I will not compromise myself. It's who I am. Who knows? Maybe I didn't make it. Maybe what I was doing was too strange, but I did make it. And it kicked the door down. Definitely. And I'm, and I'm humbled by that. And I will take that more than anything else, more than all the gigs, more than all my interviews, more than all my applause, my whatever, my. I'm going to take that to my grave. And I'm going to say on it, on my gravestone, I kicked down the door because I didn't see it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am sure on my tombstone, it would say uh, I fell through the door because I was drunk. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Either one works. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm Irish. It's expected. So (laughs) Um, I want to ask about your like your early base influences. Who are your heroes coming up?
0: Uh, for sure, hugely influenced by my hometown, Jamerson, Motown. Um, I was weaned on him. I grew up listening to those songs. I'm a Motown fanatic. So his way of combining the walking and the bit of rock into it—that's kind of my style. I do that. I very much liked Can't heat style of playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am one of these, you know. I, I'm, I am a stand-up player on an electric, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm an organic bass player. I was talking with lots of different musicians in my career. And one time we were standing in the bar with my sax player, my drummer, my guitar player. We are just having a drink after the show and talking about different kinds of musicianship and different styles and this and that and this and that. And um, my drummer piped up at some point in the conversation. And he said, Susie, whatever you play on the bass, and he wasn't a happy man. He was asthmatic and really grumpy. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> um, he said, whatever you play on the bass, it's always correct. Th- th- that's great. That's a great compliment.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. I that great. means
0: it feels correct. And feel is something you can never teach anybody. I
1: totally agree with you. Totally agree with you there. Um, it comes from within. It's just something that's in you.
0: Yes, and in fact, another one similar story. Steve Cropper. I don't know if you know him. He was Otis Redding's guitar player in the Bar case and played on all Otis's stuff. Just a wonderful rhythm stroke lead player. Not, you know, he's just great. And um, the Bar case, um, Stack Soul Band, brilliant. And I finally met up with him. He was my hero in the 60s, and I finally met up with him. And there's a famous bass player in that same group called Donald Duck Dunn, he's very known. Oh, yeah. And I was talking to Steve, and I said, Steve, you know, when we jam, when I sometimes I'll get in my front room and I'll jam along with records, and when I play Otis Redding stuff, even right from the start, I play the exact same bass lines as Donald Duck Dunn without knowing what they're gonna be. And Steve said, Well, there's a reason for that. And I said, what? He said, because they're correct. I couldn't have put it better myself. Yeah. There are there is a correct way to play.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's the engine. The bass is the engine of the band. I say it every night. Without the bass and the drums, you've got nothing. Mm -hmm. This is the engine. This is the ground everybody else put their scholars to, you know. Mm -hmm. We are the engine. Not that you can't be fancy, sure, when, the, when it calls for it, but basically it's for you to lay down. And I go back to something Jameson said. He said, the beauty of bass is, it's not what you play, it's what you don't play.
1: Mm.
0: So true. Sometimes on stage I go, dip, dip, dip. When you don't, ex- it's that unexpected, you know, it's, it's just brilliant. What a great lesson that was when I read that from him
1: all I talk about uh, bass and drums, I want to talk about those amazing solos you do in your live shows, with, you know, bass and drums. They're so exciting, you know? And it's, it's not something you often see in, in the rock genre as well. Um,
0: No, it's not. And, and what also is, and I've seen these before, and a lot of times I found them boring. And I saw Can Heat do one in 1968 where the bass player took a solo. So I was only 18, i I've been in the band for four years, and I watched him and I went, if I ever do that, that's the way to do it. And I had my band for a long time with my original drummer, Bless Him, Hello Dave, He Passed Away Last Year, playing on all my hits. And he's I keep his picture there. And um, I always did a bass drum solo. And then when I changed drummers with uh, Colin Woolway, who writes drum books and all that, we were rehearsing. And we took a break. He's a brand new drummer in the band. And he said, uh, can we do the bass and drum solo? And I said, well... I don't really always know where I'm going. I kind of, you know, wing it sometimes. And he said, well, let's just do the basics, what you do, because I would like to play it with you, what you're doing, every bit. So I went, well, that's interesting. Not just marking time, you know? Mm -hmm. So we worked out this 15-minute orchestrated. He copied me. I said, okay, usually I go about here. And he went, okay, he took that, out. usually I go here. I mean, it goes through everything. You have your five, four, you got your jazz, you got your walking, you got your rocket, you got your slapping. And we worked mm. out the whole thing and then it became an orchestrated bass drum solo, which is great, but it, it developed into that, I have to say, it developed into it.
1: What's your go-to live setup? So what, what, what's your favorite bass to play live and your favorite amp? And
0: I two different things. Um, the precision is the most reliable in the studio because it's the only base you can plug in straight to the board is perfect. Perfect. On stage, because of me having to jump around and move around a lot, I take the jazz because just that teeny bit slimmer on the bottom end of the neck. And I always play the precision at home so that when I get live on stage with the jazz, I'm faster. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you know, I, I punish myself with this and I go, oh, look at me, here I am, Miss Flash. So, um, yeah, I, I use a Fender Jazz on stage. I'm using Orange, who have been sponsoring me for a couple of years now. But I've been through everything, all different faces, but I always end up back with my Fender that I started with, you know. Yeah. 1987 Fender Precision. It's what great
1: that you still have that, you know.
0: <laughs> Hangs on my wall. Amazing. Hangs on my wall. What an amazing basic. What memories. Wow. Mm-hmm. There was a funny story, and I've gotta to go to the next one in a minute. There was a funny story. Um we did a gig in Detroit. I'm trying to remember what year it would have been 1969. So I was like four, five, six, seven, five years playing. And into this into the club at midnight came David Ruffian, the lead singer from The Temptations, and Ted Nugent. Okay? Mm. Come to see us play. So They wanted to come jam, and I said, yeah. So two of the girls got scared shitless and left the stage. I stayed on, I'd never honestly jammed before, and certainly not with people of that caliber, but I said, I'm not missing this. So I stayed on and jammed with them. We had a good 20 minutes, 25 minutes, wow. And we came off the stage and Ted Nugent said to me, where did you learn to play like that? And I said, I didn't know I could (laughs) that's what you call stepping up to bat right it was a moment but I didn't think about not doing it I went yeah come on and then all of a sudden I found myself doing stuff I didn't know I could do following it you know excellent what great fun that was taught me a lot actually that one little incident taught me a lot yeah what would be your
1: advice like what what do you reckon makes a great bass player
0: Knowing when to hold it down and knowing when you have that moment to be flash. Never abusing it. Mm. Making sure you combine the knowledge that the bass is the note of the bass drum, which it is. You gotta work simultaneously with it, with each other. Always lock yourself into the drummer and vice versa. you got to be like this, there's nothing worse then the drummer trying to hold it back and the bass player trying to now that you've got to find that. If, if you're with the drummer who plays on the back of the beat, then go on the back of the beat. You know, the drummer is there to set that tempo. And if you feel like he isn't doing it, then you got to speak to him and say that there's one song we do on stage live called, uh, I don't do gentle. And it's a hard tempo. Sometimes you get a song that's a hard tempo to hit correct every time, you know, those ones. Mm-hmm. And I always say to the drummer, watch my foot because my foot does this like a metronome, and there's your tempo. And I can't control it. The The piano player might start slower, or fast, but my foot went into the thing. Um, so, so keep in mind that you are the engine of the band. Don't abuse it. Don't ever overstep your capabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just remember you're the engine. And
1: what would be your tips for singing while playing bass?
0: Learn the bass well enough so that you don't have to think about it end of (laughs) that's it the rest comes learn it if it's a part like i just showed you with she's in love with you make sure you know what you're doing sing along sing along sing along play and once you know you've got this and you're not thinking about it anymore then you can sing
1: great thank you so much susie
0: you're welcome